Welcome to the Indisposable Podcast, produced by Upstream and supported this season by Patagonia. I'm your host, Brooking Gatewood. Thanks for joining for another episode celebrating solutions to plastic pollution. With the need to stay at home during COVID-19, takeout orders have been on the rise, and early on in the epidemic, concern over surface transmission with a well-financed marketing push from the plastic industry created what we now understand to be a misperception that reusables were somehow less safe than disposables. So in this episode, we're going to dive into the health expert statement that came out in July of 2020 to help dispel this myth. Upstream, Greenpeace, and other partners worked together to develop the statement, signed by over 115 health experts from 18 countries around the world, including virologists, epidemiologists, ER doctors, and specialists in public health and food packaging safety. The statement assures retailers and consumers that reusable systems can be utilized safely by employing basic hygiene and creating contact-free options for customers' personal bags and cups. So we reached out to some of the health experts that signed on to the statement to find out more about why they signed on and to talk about the myths, misperceptions, and unintended consequences of those myths for human and environmental health. In this show, we'll hear from experts in law and policy, public health, pathology, and epidemiology from Duke, American University, the National Cancer Institute, and the NIH, and Upstream. So to kick us off and to talk about the statement itself, we have Miriam Gordon, Upstream's policy director and one of the coordinators of the health expert statement. Thanks so much for joining us, Miriam. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Brooking. Thanks. So tell us a little bit about the letter itself. What are the statements that these health experts from across the globe are willing to put their names and professional reputations behind? Well, first of all, they basically cite our uh, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, um, in indicating that the evidence is that the virus spreads primarily from inhaling aerosolized droplets um, rather than contact with surfaces. Um, So the first part of the statement just iterates what the CDC says, that you're much more likely to get this virus from um, people coughing in your face or nearby. And actually, there's no evidence that the virus has been transmitted from people touching a surface or an object that has the virus on it. Mm. The CDC acknowledges that it's possible to get the virus by touching a surface and then inoculating yourself by touching your mouth, nose, or eyes. But there isn't any evidence that that's happened. And when you wear a face mask, uh, that prevents this self-inoculation. So that's the first thing that uh, the scientists have said. Uh, The virus primarily spreads from aerosolized droplets. Great. And the statement also has a comment that there's no substantial difference from a scientific perspective between disposable and reusable safety. Is that right? That's correct. In fact, if you are going to look at surface transmission as a possible vector for getting the virus, the research shows that the virus lasts longest on really smooth surfaces like plastic and stainless steel. So in one study, 
uh, it shows that the virus can last between two to three days on plastic and stainless steel, whereas on paper and cardboard, it lasts up to 24 hours. There are other studies like this that show, again, the virus uh, didn't last very long on tissue paper or on any kind of paper or cloth, whereas it lasted up to six days on plastic and stainless steel. So if we're going to follow this notion that you can get the virus from touching a surface, then it's a much more likely that plastic and stainless steel is going to be that vector of uh, transmission. Yeah, it'd be better to have a reusable cloth bag than a plastic. It's true. And it's also kind of runs counter to um, what the plastic industry has been saying and what people commonly think, which is that plastic is the thing that's going to uh, protect us from germs and viruses and mm. things like that. Yeah, it's so a the good point. This doesn't bear out that, that uh, very common thinking. Yeah. Now, the one other main issue that the scientists put forward is that when it comes to uh, the safety of materials, reusable products are cleaned and disinfected in food service, having to meet the state food safety uh, requirements, whereas disposable or single-use products aren't. And... Um, the, the disposable products actually go through multiple touches before they reach the consumer, um, whereas reusable products are generally cleaned and then you know, disinfected, sanitized, and then stacked, and then go through the same process of handing it to the consumer. Yeah, that's one I get really frustrated by the misperception around when I'm out in the world and sometimes people give you something in a plastic bag as if that's somehow an additional helpful precaution when it's really not. Um, so I'm curious, so you do all this work with local policy and city initiatives, and obviously that's been a little bit hampered by COVID. So from your perspective, what is it that is so important and helpful about this statement for the work you're trying to still advance in the policy arena? Well, you know, all across the globe, there have been initiatives to reduce single-use plastics in response to, you know, the fact that 11 million metric tons of plastic are entering our oceans every year. Um, and in just a few years, there'll be more plastic than fish. So um, people have been calling for action and policymakers have been taking it. Currently, we have more than 60% of the population lives in an area where single-use plastic bags have either been banned or um, you have to pay for them, uh, or you have to pay for the alternative, the paper bag. And that has been super effective in driving litter reduction. Um, in California, where I live, we've had a 60% reduction in uh, plastic bags on our coastlines. And that was within one year of the statewide plastic bag ban. So um, really effective with litter reduction and also driving to the solution of reusables. Um, in Los Angeles, about 95% of the population has um, switch to reusable bags. So um, what happened with COVID is that um, the plastic industry jumped on this right away and started promoting single-use plastics as safer. And with an abundance of caution approach, our public health officials started issuing local stay-at-home orders that directed 
uh, local businesses to stop accepting customers, BYO, bring your own reusable bags and cups, and even shut down things like um, bulk distribution of groceries at stores where there was a lot of unpackaging going on. Mm-hmm. We also had governors putting bag bans on hold or suspending them. So what we saw have seen since COVID is a huge uptick in single-use plastics and uh, our waste management programs and our street litter is just filled with single-use plastics. And I'm sure your listeners are seeing this on the street and witnessing it themselves. So what we've been doing is uh, working with these scientists and trying to help communicate with uh, local and state health officials and really raise awareness about what the the science is telling us around the safety of reusables versus disposables. And it's been working in some places. I mean, a number of states are now going back to, including California, are now going back to implementing their statewide plastic bag bans. And a lot of the local guidance, local health officials are finding ways to um, allow customers once again to bring their own bags into grocery stores in ways that are perceived to protect the workers. So allowing customers to bring it in as long as they fill the bag themselves. Mm -hmm. But we still have lingering impacts like lots of chains, cafe chains still won't allow customers to bring their own cups. Uh, A lot of grocery stores still won't allow customers to bring reusable bags. And we even see in state and local reopening guidance for restaurants, promotion of disposable foodware, not plastics in particular, but disposable foodware in general as a safety precaution. So there's still a lot more work to do. Yeah. And you know, it, it just brings in the, the point that while everybody has been so concerned about public health, that there, there are other aspects of public health that we're going to talk more about in this episode that are unintended consequences of, of the increase in disposables. And I want to quote right now one of the health experts who um, sent in a quote, wasn't able to join the show, but this is from Dr. Mark Miller, who is the former director of research at the National Institute of Health, Fogarty International Center, and is now a researcher at the National Cancer Institute. And he says, the promotion of unnecessary single-use plastics to decrease exposure to COVID-19 negatively impacts the environment, water systems, and potential food supply compared to the safe use of reusable bags, containers, and utensils. And then he adds, public health must include maintaining the cleanliness of our home, the earth. So I think that quote is a great synopsis of the issue here. And um, as we get deeper into the show, we're going to start talking to some public health and medical experts. So Miriam, thank you so much for grounding the conversation and the policy implications and context. And thanks for the work that you're doing. Thank you, Brooking. So for more perspective on the public health implications of disposable plastic, I got to speak with Michelle Oko, another signatory of the health expert statement and senior lecturer and fellow of law at the Duke Environmental Law and Policy Clinic. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so we'd love to just hear a little bit about what inspired you to sign this statement and your perspective on what's going on with information and misinformation about reusable plastic health impacts? Sure. Um, Well, my main interest 
um, area is environmental justice. So that's one of the things that really um, appealed to me about this statement. It's looking at the impact of the single-use plastics in relation to COVID-19 and essentially the efforts that have been taken recently in relation to COVID-19 to roll back efforts that we've taken as the environmental justice community to combat single-use plastics. And that's highly problematic because if you look, the same communities that are going to be disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 are the same communities that are going to be impacted by increased usage of these single-use plastics. Mm -hmm. So that really seemed to be counterproductive to supporting the health of these communities. Um, looking at the letter that was issued by the plastic industries very early on in the pandemic, it was really taking advantage of our lack of information, our lack of knowledge in relation to how this virus is spread. At that time, there was still a lot of concern about spread through fomites. We now know that really the dominant spread of this disease is person to person. Mm -hmm. um, that's a huge shift as far as where we should be focusing um, as far as curbing the spread of this disease. So can you explain what fomite is that you just spoke about? Yes, um, a fomite is just an object that can serve as a means of transmission. And specifically, having contact with the surface of that object can then be a mediator for contracting that particular disease. So um, for example, um, I'll just give it, it could be depending on the disease, because certain, certain um, pathogens will survive on certain surfaces different periods of time. Um, and we do see that also with COVID-19. But I'll just give an example of my cell phone. So my cell phone itself, if it comes into contact with a pathogen, that pathogen, pathogen can then survive on the surface of that item. If I then, let's just say, pass it to someone else, and then they touch the surface of my cell phone, they then can pick up the pathogen from my cell phone. And then at that point, be, um, have further exposures through, for example, the eyes, nose, or contact with the mouth. Great, thank you. And this statement put that up front and really reframed the issue so that it was not looking at the hazards of single-use plastics, but instead looking at the benefits of reusable in, during this time of the pandemic and really got down to some really basic ways of protecting ourselves against the spread of this disease. All you really need in order to safely use reusables are just basic hygiene, just basic hygiene protocols that we all are aware of. And this should not be a barrier to protecting the communities that are impacted by this increased waste that we're seeing. Mm. It's such an important point and your background is in public health. So I just wanna underscore that connection and a lot of the safety protocols that are already out there. What we're understanding from talking with other medical experts on this is will already protect us from COVID. And yeah, so I appreciate you underscoring that point.
So on that note of basic hygiene protocols, we also spoke with another public health communications and epidemiology expert, Dr. Anthony Panzera. He teaches courses on both these topics at American University, has a master's and PhD in public health, as well as an undergrad in biology, and has served as an epidemiologist in his career as well. Dr. Panzera heard about the petition through his friend Kelly Dennings with the Center for Biological Diversity and one of the collaborators behind the health expert statement, who asked him to read it and provide an opinion as an epidemiologist and see if he might consider signing. So we reached out to hear more of what motivated him and any messages he wanted to underscore. And he offered a similar view regarding the importance of basic hygiene protocols for surfaces and public health and the lack of evidence for the need to use disposables to stay safe. Thank you so much, Dr. Panzera, for joining us. Sure thing. You know, there's so much information going around and misinformation about the food contact and surface contact part of hygiene when it comes to COVID. Can you speak a little bit to your understanding of what's true and relevant? Yeah, sure. Um, so in my opinion, the fact that SARS-CoV-2 can persist on any surface, let alone plastics, emphasizes the need to maintain protective behaviors such as washing surfaces, um, like we alluded to when we were talking about uh, food safety. Mm -hmm. um, researchers and medical staff are typically trained on how to maintain hygiene and safety in clinical and laboratory environments. Um, contamination and exposure are real things that these superheroes worry about, not only during a pandemic, but throughout their professional journeys. Um, wearing gloves and protective wears themselves have a proper method of use. The average American, in my opinion, needs to focus on maintaining protective behaviors. This includes washing hands, washing surfaces with safe cleansers, and maintaining social distance. Um, mask wearing has been shown to reduce the risk of transmission, um, speaking about airborne uh, transmission. This, I think, is a practice that Americans should embrace. Whether the risk of infection is coming from plastic surfaces or airborne droplets from individuals' respiratory tracts, risk reduction for yourself and others should be the guiding principle for everyone's personal health behaviors. In terms of uh, other kinds of surface exposure, um, make sure that your the surfaces in your kitchen are, um, are clean, uh, that you wipe them down before you put your food on them. Um, and that, that the food that you, uh, that you do have, including your produce um, and anything that comes in packaging, that you wipe it down um, and clean it first before you put it away or use it. Um, anything that comes into the home effectively should be, uh, should be wiped down and cleaned so that you can make sure that you don't have uh, passive exposure to anything. Yeah. And yet, whether it's a reusable or disposable doesn't really matter from the perspective of that hygiene practice as, as part of what this letter is speaking to, yeah. Exactly. And on a personal note, um, one of the reasons why I am, uh, I'm interested in how plastics can serve as a source of exposure, um, my mother is a cashier at a supermarket in New York City, and my stepfather works at a gas station convenience store, and they both have been designated essential employees. Mm -hmm. uh, while I trust them both with their personal behaviors um, and their employers have instituted safety measures, they both encounter numerous customers day in and day out. And uh, 
they use plastic bags almost daily, although I believe they have been working on promoting customers bringing their own bags. I live in DC and even before the pandemic, DC instituted citywide policies to reduce plastic bag use and promote use of reusable non-plastic bags. The fact that SARS-CoV-2 can survive on plastic surfaces further compels us to act in a way that supports the health of the environment and our own personal health. Um, so that's my own sort of personal stake in the matter. Yeah, that's great to hear. And it's such a good reminder too of following best practices to help the collective, you know, even if it's inconvenient for us, everybody has a relative or somebody who's more at risk in their life that they care about. And so hearing about your your mother and stepfather is just a great real personal reminder of that. Thanks for sharing. So in talking to Dr. Panzera, it brings up the question that we have talked about a lot on this podcast of what really is the link between surface transmission and COVID? How common is it? Where is the research coming from that we are seeing so commonly in the mainstream media about uh, COVID transmission? A few months ago, we had Dr. Ben Lockwin on the show, who's a CDC consultant epidemiologist, and as of early May, he said that they have not had a confirmed case of contact transmission. And uh, so we came back to the folks at Duke who've actually been doing some research on this issue at the Environmental Law and Policy Clinic, and we spoke also with Michelle Nolan, their co-director and clinical professor of law, and here's what she had to say. So um, we've been uh, combing through the published literature on uh, disease transmission through reusable materials, uh, reusable bags, reusable takeout containers, things like that. And then the public health literature on potential risks associated with disease transmission on plastics in general, including single-use plastics. And what we have found is that um, the research that's been done on reusables has not focused at all on COVID-19, but has been focused more on pathogenic or bacterial transmission. And the studies that the industry has focused on and touted were really poorly designed studies and under some really extreme circumstances that would not be generally replicable. So for example, one of the studies that they've looked at to talk about the risks of reusables focused on the transmission of norovirus and um, it was a reusable bag that was left in a bathroom that someone used while they were violently ill. So that is not something that you're going to see most of the time when you take a reusable bag into a grocery store or you use it for uh, a takeout meal or something like that. So really it was an erroneous comparison, mm. uh, looking at bacterial transmission versus viral uh, transmission and not taking into consideration viral load, uh, method of transmission, you know, things like that. And also not taking into consideration basic um, hygiene as Michelle Oko had pointed out. The other thing that we noticed from the, the literature is that uh, none of the conversation was focused on the risks posed by single-use plastics. They are also capable of transmitting the virus from person to person, from store to the consumer's home. And it also completely ignored the impact of those uh, single-use plastics um, on the community writ large. 
you know, it ignored, um, as Michelle alluded to, it ignored the um, aspects of where waste is disposed of and how it is disposed. Most landfills, which is where these single-use plastics go, um, are located in low-wealth communities, predominantly uh, people of color communities. Mm -hmm. So that needs to be factored in. A lot of the trash within a community ends up being accumulated in those uh, lower wealth communities simply because there is a higher number um, per capita of fast food takeout and convenience stores um, and within those communities. So that's why you see increased uh, litter loads in those communities as well. Yeah. So those are some of the things that we thought were important to be looking at and do a risk-risk comparison. Yeah. You know, Michelle uh, Oko, I want to follow up on that note that with your environmental justice background, we'd love to hear from your perspective a little bit on how you see reusables being of benefit to communities impacted by single use, as Michelle was just describing. Um, are you seeing examples of that out there any, that we might want to highlight? Yeah, um, I guess kind of going to the problem we have with these single-use um, containers is that we use them and then we just expect them to go away, to disappear. But they go somewhere and they go to these waste management facilities, which are more likely to be cited in low income and communities of color. So that is very problematic. So going back to the issues of dealing with plastics, the best way to address that is by reducing the amount of plastics that go into the environment, period. And that's where it connects back to these communities. So we need to reduce the amount of plastics that are being introduced into those environments. Then when you looked at the actual production of the plastic products themselves, the manufacturing of those products are also more likely to be in these communities. And we've been seeing health burdens experienced by those communities in relation to that. Yeah. So as far as the benefits of reusables, it would go to reducing the existence of those plastics itself before it, it's introduced into the environment and can harm those populations. And we see this both in the U.S. and also it has an international impact as well. Well, may I chime in on that topic? Um, thinking yeah, about please go ahead. About the impacts to uh, low wealth and people of color communities. You have the manufacturing, of course, that you need to think about. Uh, you know, a lot of these facilities are using fracked gas. Uh, they're using uh, virgin petroleums uh, for uh, manufacturing, and those facilities are located in, uh, um, as Michelle Oko noted, uh, predominantly in low wealth communities and people of color communities. You also have the other aspect of disposal. It's not just landfills. It's also a number of communities that are uh, using incineration uh, to reduce the waste that they have to landfill. And so those incinerators also emit a number of hazardous chemicals into the air. And, and again, those facilities, guess where they're located? Yeah. Also in wealth communities, mainly populated by people of color. So you have you know, that kind of triple whammy effect that we're, we're talking about, all of which means that reusables need to take priority. And we ought to be structuring our policies so that single-use plastics reflect the actual full costs to society of their use and disposal. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for, for the work you're doing and signing the statement and uh, supporting this effort to clarify fact from fiction with regard to the safety of reuse. We really appreciate it.
Thank you. I want to thank everybody who was involved in the creation of this health expert statement. It's such an asset for those of us working to combat these myths around the relationship between disposable products and COVID risks. So thank you to the team at Upstream, at Greenpeace, at Center for Biological Diversity, and the other partners who helped get this out there. Of course, I want to thank all the health experts who chose to sign this statement and put your professional weight behind our efforts to dispel this myth. We really appreciate all of you, and especially, of course, those who took the time to speak with us for this episode, uh, Dr. Mark Miller, Anthony Panzera, Michelle Oko, and Michelle Nolan. Thank you all so much for your time. For those who are interested to dig a little deeper into some of the research that we talked about with the Duke team, we've got links in the episode notes to the analyses that they've been doing about COVID research that's out there, as well as to the recent Tulane study that links COVID impacts and frontline communities impacted by oil and plastic production, which is an important resource for Uh, those working in this space to know about. And of course, we will link to the health expert statement itself. So everybody, hope you stay safe, have a clearer definition after this conversation of what safe really means, continue to help us build a better way than throwaway in COVID and beyond. And until next time. And that's our show. If you like what you're hearing, help spread the word. Subscribe to the Indisposable Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Add a review, talk us up. Nobody spreads a message like you. The Indisposable Podcast is brought to you by Upstream, sparking innovative solutions to plastic pollution, envisioning a world without it, and empowering businesses, communities, and individuals to imagine and co-create this future with us. You can find resources mentioned on today's episode as well as learn more about Upstream's work at www.upstreamsolutions.org. Follow us on social and join the movement. There's a better way than throwaway.